Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles, 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying Because the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. BC the Beatles everywhere. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. So come join us online. And you can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Speaking of Facebook, we recently surpassed a thousand Beatle maniacs on our Facebook page. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. That is so amazing. And the level of engagement we have is so great. Like, you guys are the best with, like, sharing and writing back to us and talking to us. It's awesome. Yeah, I always love to, like, go on there on my lunch break or whatever work and just twizzle around and see what people are talking about. And it's, yeah, you guys are really, really fun. And it's cool to, you know, meet new Beatle people all the time. For sure. Yeah, so what's new, Erica? It's been a minute. It has. What is new? Okay, I went to Mexico for a little bit. And it was relaxing Mm. and sunny and beachy and lovely that's amazing that sounds ideal (laughs) how about you let's see i've been in la living my life working so not as exciting as mexico but it's got its merits i'm sure some of the things you were doing were way more exciting than what i was doing given where you work well there's a little bit of that and i'll i'll talk about that in a minute Mm, because i want to give a plug to exciting shit going on in my yeah my day-to-day job which i love so much awesome well before we get there We just have one more business item for you. A reminder that we'll be at the Beatles at the Ridge Festival in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, the weekend of September 20th. Yeah, and we will have merch with us, which we have never debuted before. This will be the first time we'll have merch. And uh, we'll be recording a live episode right there in front of everybody at Beatles at the Ridge. And, you know, we're very excited. This is uh, something we've been wanting to do for a long time. We've been hearing so much about this from Beatle friends. People have gone to the festival, Beatles fans, and how much fun it is and it's small and it's intimate the cool thing is that everybody who's there is only focused on one thing so when a certain speaker is on there aren't 16 other panels and concerts and things so everybody is giving each other attention and it's going to be really intimate and i think we're going to learn a lot and meet a lot of new people it's gonna be fun it's cool because nobody has to make a choice of oh do i go to this concert versus the panel versus like going shopping it's it's very streamlined which is a real virtue but you know we're really excited because a lot of our beetle pals are going to be there mm-hmm. um jude kessler who you guys heard on our john lennon center saint episode is one of the organizers so she will of course be there and um we just heard that our pal sarah schmidt from meet the beatles for real uh is going to be there too so we're super excited yeah We've got to have her on one day soon. Oh, I know. I, I don't know. I, I know. Why have we not? That's insane to me. But maybe uh, we can hook up something at the Ridge. Yeah, Soon. we should do a live a live interview with her. It'll be fun. Uh, and speaking of the Ridge, the theme of this festival is Beatles merchandise and memorabilia. So we've got a show planned that covers the good, the bad, and the ugly of the sordid story behind Beatles early merchandise. Yes, definitely. And you can expect a lot of Brian talk. I know it's very shocking because we never talk about Brian on this podcast. No, we don't defend him at all. Yeah, I know. We're going to make an exception this time and we're going to talk a little bit about Brian Epstein. So uh, it should be fun because there's certainly, you know, Beatles merchandise runs the gamut. So there's certainly a lot to talk about. But before that festival, Allison has one more announcement about a festival next month. 
Hell yeah. So I might be, and this is looking likely, but I, I will probably be at the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans, which is one of our favorite events every year. They hold it uh, two times a year. This is the Chicago Fest in the summer, uh, the weekend of August 9th through the 11th. I'll probably be spending most of my time uh, in the marketplace, which I've never actually done this before. Been there as a seller. I'm usually sitting on panels or doing interviews, whatever, but this time I'm going to be representing my day job which is Rhino Records. And what exactly are you selling? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Erica. Like I, you know, it's it's uh, something that is very near and dear to me, something that I've, I worked on for months. These are our Woodstock re-releases. And I hate calling them re-releases because a lot of this stuff has been out for the first time and the packages are beautiful and the music sounds amazing. It sounds like you're in the middle of the festival. I'm just obsessed with these products and these packages and we're all just so proud the whole team worked so hard, so I'm really excited to bring three, I think three of the configurations to the fest, I hope, and share it with my best family and friends and any of you that come, like you have to come see them and hold them and, and take a look. Well, that's so cool. And congratulations on it. I can't wait to see it. I hope I get to join you at the fest. We don't know. Me too. Maybe. Guys, we need to get Erica to come to the fest so that we can hang out together. Some people think we we record together, which is just a testament to your audio editing. <laughs> you just cut out the whole time you said that, which is hilarious. And I feel like I need to keep that in. Irony. What just happened? <laughs> it <was> really funny. <laughs> hilarious. Oh, my God. Please keep that in. Um, I, I um, even have... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to think we record together anymore. Uh, yeah, actually, like, if y'all don't know, Erica's in Brooklyn, I'm in LA, so. Yeah, we don't get to see each other that often. Yeah, so two things to look forward to, Beatles at the Bridge and the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans. And we've got something exciting starting this episode, which is that we're restructuring a little bit. So we decided instead of going in-depth with the news, because before we even get there, it's out of date thanks to social media and, and all that kind of stuff, we're going to instead talk about general goings-on in the Beatles world and our lives as they pertain to the Beatles. Our, a lot of our lives revolve around the Beatles. We're very lucky. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We do. And one last announcement. Don't forget, our next Beatles book club selection is A Cellar Full of Noise by the one and only Brian Epstein. So please pick up your copy where you can for summer reading. We'll be doing that within the month, and we'll be putting out a call on socials when it's close. So if you have any questions about the book, anything you want to discuss with us, please let us know. So we're yeah. going to be doing announcements like we just did at the top of the show. But then we're going to go into our new segment, which we're calling Beetlefields. Beetlefields. Yep. Yep. Say that three times. Beetlefields. 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 <laughs> Wait, if you say Beetlefields three times, do, does a beetle appear? And if so, which beetle? It's probably mm. the, the Beatles from yesterday. This is where they're going to show up. The ones who disappeared oh, after oh. the blackout. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's a whole vortex kind of deal. It is. It is. Amazing. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> so Beatlefields, followed, of course, by our episode's main topic and still closing out with our latest Beatles obsession. So, yeah, let's get into our Beatlefields. Why don't you start? You have quite the story to rant about this week. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure everybody listening does, uh, Paul closed out his Freshen Up tour uh, a week ago. 
um, at Dodger Stadium here in LA. So my usual practice when going to Paul McCartney concerts is wait. I wait till the last minute to get a ticket because usually, you know, the prices drop on StubHub and you end up getting a really good seat for next to nothing. Like we we went to see Paul at Nassau Coliseum a couple of years ago. It was so last minute, like five days, I think, for fifth row. Yeah, it was insane. And so it's like and I've done that a few times and it's always been fine. And then this time, for some reason, it could be because it was a closing night. It could be because it was L.A. I don't know. But the tickets were not going down. Even the day of the show, there were $6,000 floor seats, which I've never seen. Like, yeah, like a couple grand, but $6,000 is insane. So the day of the show, yeah, I know. So the day of the show, I didn't have a ticket. And I was starting to, you know, look at StubHub, but also like Craigslist. And so I found a ticket on Craigslist from a guy and um, started texting him. And I told him, you know, because I'm very cautious. Uh, I don't, I consider myself a smart person that, you know, wouldn't get scammed. So I thought I could like rig this whole thing, this foolproof system where I told this guy, you know, I'll pay you. But after we walk into the stadium together. So I met up with this guy at Dodger Stadium and his two kids and we're walking to the gate and sure enough, the tickets are fake, but it was, it was great because I didn't pay him anything. So I literally just like gave the ticket back, walked away. And my next course of action was to find, you know, somebody selling a ticket outside the stadium. Nobody was selling a ticket. That never happens at concerts, but this time nobody was selling a ticket. So That's crazy. I, I know. Right. So, so I dumbly got on the phone with this other guy from Craigslist who I've been talking to earlier in the day and he sounded sketchy, but I was sort of like, you know, at this point I could hear Paul going on. Mm-hmm. And so I was very like, just stressed out. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make a last ditch effort. And so this guy fed me a story about how he has these great floor seats, because he works for AT&T. And he has, you know, season tickets for the Dodgers and all this. And I said, Well, look, I'm like, I got scammed. I'm very wary, I'm nervous to do this. Can I can you send me the ticket and I'll walk through the gate, I'll keep you on the phone. And then I'll pay you when I get to the other side. And he was sort of like, what? That's crazy. I I would never do that. And so I was like, well, and he said, well, look, if you want to send me $150 of the total, like 300, whatever for this ticket now, and then keep me on the phone when you walk through and you can, I'll trust you to send me the other half. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I took a chance, whatever. And so I sent him the payment and then I got scammed and I just started to cry. I oh like, my God. I, I sat outside Dodger Stadium and just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I could hear the show. I, I heard part of, you know, most of the show, part of the show. And um, I just got on the, like, Dodger bus and went back to, you know, Union Station, took the subway home. I was just so, I'm telling you the story because this happens. And like I said, I consider myself a smart person, but this doesn't happen to, but it does. It happens to fucking everybody. It's happened to people I know that are very savvy people. It's just a thing. So Beatle fans, number one, be careful, be careful. Number two, if this happens to you, forgive yourself because I'm having a hard time with that. Cause I just, and I can't, I'm very upset that I miss Paul. I have to believe that I will see Paul again in concert. So this will not be the last time, but no, it's really it's been it's been a rough, rough effing week. I got to tell you a rough effing week. You can't blame yourself, though, because, I mean, you love Paul. You want to see Paul. Usually these people have something to sell. Yeah. And, you know, it usually works out. 
yeah, I've never seen a show like this where there are no tickets outside the stadium. You know, I'm happy for everybody that got to go. I saw some great pictures and videos, but you know, this one is going to be one of the ones that goes down in history where I'm like, God damn it. You know, mm -hmm. that guy could have been there. Even though he said this was the last date of Fresh Enough, I do think he's going to do a series of fall, of fall dates because he never misses the Northeast. This is where he's, you know, lived and Linda was from and Nancy's from. I mean, this is just where he plays. And he didn't play New York on this run, right? Not at all. He didn't come any closer to us than Lexington, Kentucky. That was the closest he came. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see him not doing like a few dates at Madison Square Garden yeah. at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to fly out for that. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to get a good ticket. So it won't <laughs> be the last time you're going to see yes. the next leg of this tour. Maybe he'll call it something yes. other than freshen up. It would be awesome. That would be really good. I would appreciate that. Yes. I just want to mention something else really quick that to kind of like end my Beatle feels on a more positive note. So I went to Palm Springs for 4th of July weekend for a solo vacation. And I decided to go on a little drive through the desert, um, just spend the day going down to the Salton Sea, which I recommend. But, you know, the whole day, me and my car. And I decided to listen to all the Beatles, like Spotify playlists. Like this is George Harrison, this is uh, John Lennon, this is et cetera, et cetera. And I sort of just decided to think about the Beatles. I, I know that's crazy. That's crazy for me to think about the Beatles. You? Really? Um, I know. It's just like, whatever. Um, but uh, I thought about like figuring out who is my favorite Beatle. I had this heart to heart with myself in the desert. And I think I'm moving more towards getting John back as my favorite Beatle, which feels wow. good to me. Okay. He was always, he was always my fave and I'm still kind of like moving towards that. But, you know, I also had some Brian thoughts, even crazier. I even posted about it on Facebook, but something that really struck me is this month, actually about eh, like 10 days ago from when I'm recording this, um, I was the exact year, month, and day old that Brian was when he died. And yeah, I'm crazy for figuring that out, but whatever. And uh, it's, it you know, had a profound sort of moment um, mm -hmm. in my trip. And, and since then, it was very interesting to sort of sit out in the desert and think about all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. I didn't come to any deep conclusions, but it was just something that, you know, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't go to the desert and just think about the Beatles the whole time, really? Sounds like a vision quest to me. A vision quest. Well, I didn't do any ayahuasca this trip. The but... Beatles are enough. You don't even need it. <laughs> the Beatles are my ayahuasca. Oh, my yeah, God. You know. Making that. That's going to be the swag at the rich. The Beatles the Beatles are my ayahuasca. The Beatles are my ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We have, like, a sweat tent at the ridge, like... <laughs> Where we just come in and have like beetle visions. Oh my God, that would be amazing. I hear it's really hot and humid. Okay, so the heat <laughs> will do it to you. Then you play a little couple of backwards take loops, stuff like that. And we'll, we'll make it happen. And then you get a bumper sticker. The yep. Beatles are my ayahuasca. That sounds, yeah, exactly. And then you're like the coolest person ever. People see your bumper sticker and be like, oh my God, that person is rad. Yeah, and that's why you have to go to the ridge. Exactly, because now we're going to have a beetle sweat tent. It's great. <laughs> Put that on tent. our do list. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Anyway, Erica, what are your beetle feels this episode? My beetle fields are the best combination of worlds colliding in my life that I ever did hear about. 
which is the news that came out just last week that Paul McCartney is writing the musical version of the 1946 Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. I'm a musical theater kid. I have a degree in theater. I love musical theater. So Paul writing a musical is like an orgy of all kinds of different obsessions just kind of slamming themselves into each other. Mm, I like that uh, wordplay. I like the uh, visualization of that word um, game that you just played with your um, description there. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, I like to say yeah. Paul and orgy in the same paragraph whenever I can. Yeah. It's a good visual. <laughs> So Paul McCartney has teamed up with the writer Lee Hall, who wrote Rocket Man, the recent movie, and Billy Elliot, and producer Bill Kenwright, who seems to have some experience in this area since he worked with Elton John on the West End production of Billy Elliot, the musical from 2005. Uh, so if you don't know that the movie, it uh, came out in 1946, and it featured Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey. He was on the brink of suicide, and just as he was about to end his life, he's visited by his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody. Clarence shows George how much better off his loved ones are and his community is to having him in their lives by showing him what the li life was like if he had never been born. Um, and so it's a nice feel-good story. It happens around Christmas, so people often watch it in the holiday season, and nobody has turned it into a musical until now, and that's going to be Paul McCartney. This, I guess, came about after the uh, after Bill Kenwright wanted to produce this for a while and he finally got the rights in 2016 and he asked Paul McCartney of all people if he would be interested in writing the music so um Paul it seems wasn't totally sure like he's never written a musical before so um Bill said out of uh, from Paul's initial demos he said about them um out of the blue I get an email from Paul asking my thoughts on his first stab at an opening song he wasn't sure, but wanted to know what Lee and I thought of it. I played the demo. Lee and I were unanimous. Our hero was a musical theater writer. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It sounds so good. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is definitely perfect for you. Yeah. And, and they, keep, they keep gushing about it. Bill Kenwright also said, It's been an extraordinary journey. On every song, I experience Paul's unique gift of melody and composition. It's musical theater, but it's always McCartney. I'm so excited. Oh, delicious. Delicious. <laughs> I mean, this show itself, it couldn't be more of a Paul show. Like, if you're going to say, you know, what classic movie should Paul McCartney make into a musical? It would totally be this. It's kind of twee and it's it's a bit too saccharine at times, but just just right in that spot. So I, I, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, but not everybody is happy as I am. Um, the Guardian's Stuart Jeffries. I don't know who this guy is, but he wrote this op-ed piece called Why Paul McCartney is a Wonderful Life Musical is Going to be Terrible. <laughs> where, oh, my God. Where he says the nightmare scenario is that he is brought to the musical table, not the genius of Hey Jude, here, there, and everywhere, and Norwegian Wood, which um, I don't know if anybody That's knows. That's not even a fucking Paul song. Not a Paul song. But. Oh, my God. Yeah. But the creative acumen responsible for the frog chorus, Mull of Kintyre, and there's no easy way to say this, wonderful Christmas time. The very acumen that on a personal note in December 1979 made me contemplate disowning British citizenship and living in Vanuatu. Oh my Christ. But you know what, Stuart Jeffries? Go live in Vanuatu. 
yeah. You're an idiot. Yeah, we don't need you in first, civilization, yeah. buddy. First, learn your authorship. Norwegian wood had nothing to do with Paul. Yeah. And honestly, he's going to pluck, if he can, he's going to pluck three songs out of Paul's catalog. He's going to pick Hey Jude, Hey There and Every, or, yeah, Here, There and Everywhere in Norwegian wood. <laughs> like, period. Even if Paul had written Norwegian wood, like, wouldn't you pick out, like, Let It Be or some shit? I mean, right? I don't get it. It's so ridiculous. And also, Mullet Kintyre is amazing. And people will trot out Wonderful Christmas Time any chance they get. Mm-hmm. I defended it on this show last Christmas time, and I will stand by that. So this guy sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, The Guardian, like, <laughs> eye roll. Anyway. The, why does a newspaper have an anti-Paul McCartney stance? I, I don't know. I mean, The Guardian is practically a tabloid. Like, they're they're just, I don't know. It's, it's all ridiculous. I guess. It sucks. I mean, this is this is what our our non friend Stuart wants us to do is talk about his article and debate it. That's true. He's stupid. He is stupid. <laughs> Case closed. He's stupid. Yes, but enough of him. What do you think about this? Are you excited for it, or is it like, uh? It's surprising that Paul hasn't done this before. I think it's such a natural fit for him to write a musical. Like that seems logical. You know, he's written obviously like, you know, Ocean's Kingdom. Um, that was what it's called, right? Yeah, the ballet. Um, and then Eke Corameum and the other yeah, and, symphonies. And exactly. Exactly. So he's written like all of that. So I don't understand like how it's taken him this long to do this. But I read something where Paul was quoted as saying like it all started with an email. And my first thought is like, how did that guy get Paul's email? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That was, yeah. And also I didn't realize that Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life had a last name. Until right now. I yeah. had no idea. Me either. But yeah, I think this will be great. I I would love to see this. I'm stoked. More Paul is always a good thing. Yes. More Paul. Bring on the Paul. For real. I do feel like, you know, yeah, he's put out masterpieces and he's put out crap. But when you are working on a musical, you're working in a team environment and you have creative partners. And when he works with a creative partner, he doesn't put out crap. You know, when he has somebody mm, that so kind of checks him, like Chaos and Creation, when I, uh, who is he working with? Nigel Godrich, I think. I think so, yeah. And he said that he wasn't afraid to tell Paul when he thought that things could be different. And that, I think, is one of the best albums in his more recent history. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you go back to like Flowers in the Dirt with Elvis Costello, obviously, and Lennon McCartney. Yes. You know, it's, he does really work great in a team environment. So, yay, musical. Awesome. Excited. I cannot wait to see what happens next. It sounds like he's pretty close to having a full draft of it. That's crazy. When does he have time to do this shit? Honestly, I don't know his his brain. Like, I'd love to be able to like see, like be a fly on the wall inside of his brain. I'd love to know how it works. because <laughs> he, he never stops. He never stops no. thinking and creating. It's crazy. Well, that was this week's Beetle Feels. What do we think? I liked it. I liked it. I think it felt good. I think, uh, yeah, the Beetle Feels felt good. Yeah. Let us know what you think. We'll have plenty of more feels. And of course, if we see any latest news that's really pressing, we'll post it on our socials and we can talk about it there. Uh, onwards and upwards. Yes. Just one note that we did record this a few weeks ago. So when Tommy talks about the moon landing gala, it actually did happen on July 13th. And we'll be posting some clips on our socials so you don't miss it. Sometimes I know I make you mad When I don't pay you enough attention And I just forget well, truly, our guest today needs no introduction. His is one of the most iconic voices of the 1960s with hits like Hanky Panky, I Think We're Alone Now, Moni Moni, Crimson and Clover, Dragon the Line. I could go on. 
But the short version is he's got 23 gold records, nine platinum albums, 100 million records sold worldwide, and 32 Billboard Hot 100 chart hits. Today, he's going to talk to us about his first new album in 10 years, and of course, The Beatles. So welcome, Tommy James, to Because The Beatles. We're so happy you're here. Thank you so much. It's great to be talking with you. Thank you for coming. We've had some amazing guests on Because the Beatles, but we've never had a true Beatles peer before that you actually shared charts with them. Uh, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, so you, of course, have shared the top of the singles charts with the Beatles many times, plus the Crimson and Clover album was in the top 10 uh, at the same time as the White Album. And uh, Crimson and Clover is turning 50 this year. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, um, I must say that uh, I've been very, very lucky and very fortunate and very blessed by the good Lord and the fans for the kind of uh, longevity we've had. And I mean that I mean that sincerely. Yeah. And speaking of turning 50, you know, this year is so rich with 50th anniversaries. You know, of course, we've got the moonshot anniversary. And, and I hear you're going to be, be performing out here in California where I live um, at the Reagan That's Library. Right. right? That's right. We are. Uh, we were <laughs> a few weeks ago. We actually got a phone call from Buzz Aldrin and uh, his assistant to my manager Carol Ross, asking if uh, I would come and play for the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. And uh, there's going to be quite a gala, I, I understand, at the Reagan Library. I'm so honored to have been asked. It just turns out that Crystal Blue Persuasion was uh, the number one record when they landed on the moon for the first time. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I had forgotten that. And uh, I think that's really, uh, really spectacular. So uh, I'm very, very uh, honored and thrilled to be doing this. I truly am. Yeah, and I imagine at that time, too, they were probably playing it aboard the space shuttle. I was watching a documentary, I think, last weekend. They were talking about the different songs they remember listening to, you know, being beamed up from the mission control. Like, I think they were talking about the fifth dimension and all that. So I'm sure some Tommy right. James and the Shondells were in there somewhere. Well, I'm telling you, I'm I'm really happy to be doing this. Another big one, a big anniversary is Woodstock. And we know you were invited to play, but turned it down. That's right. <laughs> we were in Hawaii at the time, literally at the foot of Diamond Head, staying in a beautiful Spanish mansion in between two dates that we were doing. So I get this call from my secretary in New York, who was asked by, well, the way she put it to me, she says, Tommy, listen, Artie Kornfeld was up. Artie was a producer. And he was also a friend of mine, and he was one of the uh, creators of Woodstock, one of the promoters. And uh, she said, yeah, Artie was up and uh, asked if uh, you could uh, come up to this pig farm in upstate New York and play for this big gig. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> a pig farm in upstate New York. Is that what you're asking? Fly 6,000 miles, leave paradise to play a pig farm? I said, well, I'll tell you what. If I'm not there, you can start without us. And they did. Oh and uh, by Friday of that week, you know, when we saw all the cars on the freeway, they shut down the New York freeway. We know we messed up really bad. <laughs> well, they didn't quite sell it in an appealing way, a pig farm. Yeah, right. So at any rate, uh, I always regret it. It was one of my great regrets. And about five years ago, we finally made it up to, uh, to Woodstock, up to the Bethel Park Arena, 
And I said, yeah, you know, after I think it was like 45 years, I said, traffic was murder. <laughs> nice. I actually I think I was at that show, Tommy. Is that right? Really? I was. Yeah, yeah. I remember. You uh, think you were there? Wait a minute. You said you think you were there at Woodstock? <laughs> well, I wasn't at Woodstock, but I know that for a fact. But oh, I. You mean the show sure we were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we're thinking of the, the same one. But yeah, I yeah, it was great. And I remember the whole uh, finally getting to play Woodstock, which was great. It came full circle That's after right. all. And you got to play the, the quote unquote pig farm. Right. There we go. So, Tommy, let's talk a little bit of Beatles here. Everybody kind of has a story about the first time they heard the Beatles. Do you remember, you know, where you were, what you were doing when you first became aware of the Beatles? Well, I worked uh, when I was in high school in a record shop. And so I got the full impact when Capitol Records was breaking the Beatles. What I remember was it was the it was right after the Kennedy assassination. And so forever in my mind, those two events, the Kennedy assassination and the breaking of the Beatles were sort of like this happening, happening at the same very same time. Mm. And so uh, those two events are forever etched in my mind. And I remember when um, I first heard I Want to Hold Your Hand, their first record, and the flip side, I, I, I saw her standing there. I was also in a little band called the Shondells at the time, playing locally. And I remember how simple those two songs sounded until I went to go and try to play them. Their chords were very sophisticated. They were very tough. She Loves You was almost impossible to play because it was so difficult. It sounds so simple and their stuff was very sophisticated. And that really impressed me. So I, from that point on, I learned everything I could by the Beatles on the guitar. And uh, we actually played their stuff at the dances I played at. I remember our third set, we'd go and put beetle wigs on and beetle boots, and we'd come back out and all the girls would scream. <laughs> As soon as we, as soon as we took off the wigs and the beetle boots, they didn't care who we were. <laughs> At any rate, that's my most fundamental memory of the Beatles, and uh, also, I remember when they had the top five records all at the same time. I don't think it ever happened again. No, I don't. I don't think that record has ever been broken. It's really amazing, and. Uh, uh, of course, about two years ago, I got a chance to meet Paul for the first time, Paul and Ringo, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I did a show, uh, Joan Jett and I did Crimson and Clover, and uh, Ringo was being inducted into the Hall of Fame by Paul. So uh, I had a chance to talk with both of them and uh, take a few shots. And uh, it was great to meet them after all these years. I had met John... Back in 71, when he and I were both getting BMI awards, and this was at the BMI dinner in New York, and he was getting an award for Imagine, and I was getting it for Dragging the Line. And we sat next to each other. Our tables were next to each other, and we had a great conversation. Also, George wrote a bunch of songs for me with a group that he was producing called Grapefruit. Back in the late 60s, Moni Moni was number one in England. And so George wrote these songs 
for me and the Shondells and delivered them in New York to my manager's office. And I never had a chance to properly thank him for doing that, but I still have a, a George Harrison uh, tape laying around here somewhere in my basement of uh, several songs that he wrote for us. And uh, I was very honored that he did that. Oh, that's lovely. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you ever get some feedback or hear maybe through the grapevine about how much George loved your, your renditions of his songs or any feedback from that side of the pond? Well, well, there there was a couple things he had said on interviews that were very flattering, but uh, basically these these songs, unfortunately, uh, we were already doing the Crimson and Clover album, so there was a big difference between <laughs> Moni Moni and Crimson and Clover style-wise, and all the tunes that uh, were on this tape that he gave me all sounded like Moni Moni, so we never really did any of those songs, and I, I always regretted that we never did that. I never really had a chance to properly thank him, so uh, that was a big regret. That's really interesting. So was that around, so you said you were recording Crimson and Clover at that time, so that was that around 1969? That was late 68. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. It's interesting, because by that time, you know, of course, the Beatles themselves had gotten pretty psychedelic, and Crimson and Clover is such a psychedelic kind of masterpiece. I love it. I think it's one Mm -hmm. of my favorite albums um, of that era. But I imagine, yeah, but I imagine their turn psychedelic. Did that influence or impact the sound of Crimson and Clover as an album? Well, that's true. You know, everybody was chasing the Beatles in one way or another. So as a Beatles fan yourself, do you have a favorite Beatle? Wow, that's a tough one. (laughs) Wow, that's really a hard one. Um, I think Strawberry Fields has to be my favorite. I remember the first time I heard it, I remember hearing Happy Together by the Turtles and Strawberry Fields by the Beatles right next to each other on the radio and thinking, my God, what a difference in music, you know, pop music. And I, I realized that at mo- that moment, the Beatles were doing something totally different. And uh, this was when the great divide happened between, I guess you could say, AM top 40 pop and FM, as they called it, underground progressive. records, progressive album rock at the time. Those two songs represented that great chasm, you know, that great splitting of pop music. And I guess if you had to round out your Beatles song top five, we've got Strawberry Fields. What else would you put in there? Oh, my. Well, uh, do you know, I, I, I just want to say one of my all time favorites was when they got back together, when the, the three of them, when uh, Paul, Ringo and George got back together and recorded Real Love. Mm. I thought it was an incredible record. Uh, going back to, you know, the 60s with the Beatles, I'd have to say Penny Lane is one of them. I'd have to say Come Together is one. And probably something, uh, It Won't Be Long, I love dearly. Interesting. Oh, I like those I like those picks, yeah. You, so you seem like a more of like a later Beatles kind of listener, right? And then well, we the, have... tr- the truth is I loved everything they did. Gee, if you give me six, I'd have to say, please, please me. We can give you six. We'll yes. give you please, please. <laughs> Those are great picks. Uh, I definitely love It Won't Be Long, too. That's one of my one of my favorites. What was so fascinating about the Beatles 
was how simple their music sounded and how truly sophisticated it was. If you listen just as a, as a musician, particularly a guitar player, or even on piano, to their chord changes, very uh, sophisticated and intricate chord changes they did. And they made music that sounded so simple and yet was so complex. And I, I, I just think that uh, that shows their genius. And uh, I'm not even sure they realized how good they were. No, I don't think so. And I don't think they realized how complex they were being either. I mean, even to this day, I don't think anybody's figured out exactly what that first chord on A Hard Day's Night really is. Yeah, well, we we did it, but it's a combination of three different chords, and uh, 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 when you go to play it, you can very easily cut yourself on your guitar strings and bleed. Oh, God. <laughs> no. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dangerous chord. It is. That's, sounds like it. That's why nobody can figure it out. Um, well, I I think, honestly, the same thing could be said for some of the Shondell songs, Tommy. I, you know, I think of things like Love's Closing In On Me, which is one of my favorites. And that's such a straight up pop boppy ditty. But it's like it has so many layers. It almost has like sort of a wall of sound feel to it when you listen to Thank it. You. you know, I I'm a nut for pop music. I really am. I love pop music. I love commercial music. I love music people can dance to, and I love music that you can do great harmonies to. I call it complex simplicity, and I, I love doing music like that. Do you have anybody that you really admire outside of the Beatles? Like, who are some of your favorites? From the 60s? Yeah, or even now. Like, what kind of music do you love? Well, you know, I'm a jazz nut, too. I love smooth jazz, and I love contemporary jazz. I think there's a lot of geniuses doing smooth jazz right now. Mm. I... Uh, my, I'm, I'm trying to think my favorite uh, songs from, uh, you know, I'm doing a radio show now on Sirius XM every Sunday. So I get a chance to play a lot of the music that I always loved, but you never heard on the radio very much. Oh, that's nice. And that's on 60s on 6, right? That's correct. But, uh, you know, of the big hits, I, I got to say, certainly of ours, I think I think my favorite a song that uh, that were hits uh, from my catalog would be Crystal Blue Persuasion is probably my favorite. Mm. It's uh, the song I love to sing the most. I think Moni Moni is a song I love to perform the most because there's not much oxygen left in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I love all different kinds of music. And obviously we'd love to talk about your album. Yes. So tell us about Alive. This was an album that was uh, over two years in the making. It's, our, as you say, our first studio album in over 10 years. It's called Alive. And it's, it, it, you know, if there's any theme to the album, it's that there's no theme. It is musically just all over the place. We go uh, from contemporary songs that uh, are new to uh, we did a remake of I Think We're Alone Now, which is uh, acoustic, very slow, very different from the original record. It's going to be in the new in our new movie, uh, Me, the Mob and the Music. And it also is going to be the next single that we release. I can't believe we're going to re-release I Think We're Alone Now uh, 53 years later. It's going to be amazing. And uh, we also did a remake of Dragon the Line, which uh, Tone Z and Stevie Van Zant are on and did a great job. And uh, 
a whole bunch of, uh, of new material that uh, I've been wanting to do. A lot of this stuff are songs that I've been wanting to redo for a long time. So it's a real labor of love, and uh, I hope everybody digs it. The very first single is called So Beautiful, and that was released digitally and uh, jumped on the charts. On the, I went top 20 on Billboard, AC charts, adult contemporary, and was the uh, first time that uh, we were on the charts in a lot of years. So it felt really good. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm curious about how, you know, you say that you wanted to remake these songs for a while. You know, what made, I think we're alone now in Dragging the Line, what what makes you want to re, redo those? You know, a lot of people would be like, oh, they're perfect the first time. <laughs> well, both songs we did in a very different way. The I Think We're Alone Now record, uh, we just have had so much reaction to that. It's slow, acoustic, uh, very, very different from the original record. And all I can say is that um, we just turned the record inside out. And um, I hope everybody digs it. Dragging the Line actually has a, some rap in it. Yeah, I wanted to uh, ask cool. about that. <laughs> by, by Tone Z, who did a, an incredible job. He's so talented and uh, did a great rap in Dragon the Lion. It really fits the song and it works great. And Stevie Van Zant played guitar and just did an incredible solo right in the middle of the record. Uh, he's an amazing guitar player, Stevie. Gene Cornish was also, from the Rascals, was also on the album. He uh, he played guitar on the title track, Alive. And uh, I'm Alive was also a song from the original Crimson and Clover album. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, that's, uh, immediately I thought of that when I saw the title of the new record. Yeah. So kind of uh, full circle 50 years later. So it's all over the place. So I just hope everybody digs it. So I noticed on your website that you have quite a few tour dates scheduled. Are you going to be playing a lot of the new album on tour? We're going to be doing at least two tracks from the new album. You've got to play the hits, of course, when you're out there uh, with the public. But, uh, you know, I think you gotta, you got to spoon feed them the new stuff, too. That's what being an artist is all about, making people stretch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I saw on your list, too, of special interest, I think, to some of our listeners is that you'll be at the Abbey Road on the River Festival next year in May 2020 in Louisville. So that's an exciting thing. That's true. That's right. <laughs> that's a great festival. It's a lot of fun. I, I forgot about that one. That's right. That's a year ahead. That's right. So happy to see it there. Definitely. Yeah. Me. Never, never too early. If anybody would like to check out our tour dates, you can just come to TommyJames.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So we're sort of all over social media. And it's so great today that you can communicate with the whole planet. Never could do that before. Yeah, totally. And we'll we'll be sure to share all those links too on our socials. So, you know, you can find Tommy and, and check him out. Tommy, you mentioned just briefly about Me, the Mob, and the Music, which I think the very first time you and I ever talked, I think it was probably about 10 years ago when you released the book. And now I'm so curious to see where the film is. The story of Me, the Mob, and the Music, which was our book, was an autobiography with about two-thirds of it devoted to our very 
crazy and often scary relationship with Roulette Records, the, the label we had most of our hits on. And the reason it was scary and tumultuous was because, unbeknownst to us when we signed with Roulette, Roulette was uh, uh, was a front for the Genovese crime family in New York, and we didn't know that. We learned that you know incrementally. So that's what the book is about, as you know, our journey with Roulette. And it was, uh, you know, we were lucky to make it out of there in one piece, and I mean that. Um, and so uh, the movie is being made. It's being produced by Barbara Defina, who produced Goodfellas and uh, Casino and uh, oh Hugo a couple of years ago with Martin Scorsese, The Color of Money, the remake of Cape Fear. She just is a brilliant producer. And um, the screenplay has been done. I'm getting a hell of an education in all this. I'm going to be doing a lot of the technical advising, and I'm also going to be co-producer on the movie. So we have gotten, we've just picked our director, and uh, it's going to be a female. I think it's going to be very interesting that all of the major technical people in the movie are going to be female because my manager uh, is a great gal too, Carol Ross. So there's going to be a lot of women involved in this project. And I think it makes for better communication. Everybody likes everybody. That's that's a, a huge big deal when, when doing a project like this. Everybody really are friends. So it's going to be fun watching all this come together. The very next thing they're going to be doing is casting. And um, a lot of times I get asked, uh, Tom, are you going to do a cameo in the movie? And I think I probably will. I think I'm going to be a corpse. (laughs) Oh, my God. No. (laughs) The lines are easy to memorize. And uh, I don't have to worry about missing my mark. (laughs) I don't know, Tommy. Maybe you should go out for the role of Morris Levy. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, I can talk like him. There we go. Anyway, uh, uh, the, the bottom line, though, is that I'm, I'm just uh, so honored and thrilled that this project is coming together. I, I really do mean that. It's uh, It's been in the works a long time. Do you have anybody that would be like your dream to play you? Walter Brennan. Well, no. <laughs> No, listen, you know what it is? These young cast, the casting directors that are doing movies now are so hip and they know who all the uh, uh, young actors are. I'm way too old to play Tommy James. Don't kid yourself. Um, But it's it's going to be fun watching because the two main characters, of course, are myself and Morris Levy, the head of Roulette Records, who was every bit of gangster on one hand. But I missed the guy. I don't know what to say. You know, if it wasn't for Morris Levy, there wouldn't be a Tommy James. So I have very mixed feelings about Morris, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it makes it an interesting story and a very human story, I think. And it's a very, I think, indicative story of the record industry in the 60s also, because I'm pretty sure most bands had to deal with some sort of, maybe not the mob directly, but nefarious characters that didn't always have their best interests at heart. And a lot of corruption. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the Beatles themselves weren't exempt, you know, later in their career. So Well, yeah. Morris Levy sued John Lennon, and John Lennon sued Morris Levy. That was one of the interesting catches in the 70s. Oh, why? Morris threatened him. 
He was going to, what the bottom line was that uh, Morris thought that uh, one of John's songs, I believe it was Come Together, sounded too much like a Chuck Berry track that Morris had publishing on. And Morris then sued John Lennon because of it. And John settled with him. And uh, one of the elements to the settlement was that uh, John would record an album for Morris. And uh, in the end, John wouldn't finish the album. And so Morris took a cassette tape of John's demos and put it out as an album. And John and Capitol Records went nuts and then sued Morris. And John won. And so uh, Morris, at some point, threatened him, had him up to his, his farm in upstate New York, and threatened John. So anyway, the whole thing got crazy, and finally they worked it out. But uh, it was really uh, kind of scary there for a while. That's a crazy story. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? Yeah. But without that, I guess we wouldn't have... True story. It's, it's rock and roll music, right? Is the album? Yeah, I think so. Yes, indeed. So anyway, uh, this is an interesting business we're all in, isn't it? <laughs> sure. 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 Um, I have one more question for you, Tommy. When you, I mean, in the 60s, you know, of course, we talk about how much we love the Beatles and all that. But did you ever see them as competition, you know, in the music business? No, I, I really didn't look at them that way. I always looked at them as teachers. I had great reverence for their music. They were like older brothers. I would say you guys caught up, though, at least musically and sonically with Crimson and Clover. And I know I talk about that album a lot, <laughs> but it's so good. I love that album. Well, thank you very much. Well, I think this has been a wonderful chat, Tommy. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. And it was uh, wonderful talking to you. Looking forward to hearing alive and uh, hopefully seeing you actually live <laughs> this summer uh, yeah sometime soon yeah. yeah well thank you so much it's been great talking with you all right thank you, you. Too. thank you bye-bye bye And now for our latest Beatles obsession. Erica, what's your latest Beatles obsession? This one is less of a latest thing and more of a can't let it go. I saw Rocketman ages ago, but I have this one movie fact check that I've got to get out of there because it's about the Beatles. So the movie claims that Elton John, who was born Reginald Dwight, took his stage name, uh, his last name as a stage name from John Lennon. So in this movie, he tells Dick James when he's in his office for an interview that his first name is Elton and struggles for a last name until he spots a photo of the Beatles sitting in Dick James's office. And from there, he chooses a last name, John, for Elton John. So it's not actually true. I mean, they did get it right that he took his first name from his saxophonist, Elton Dean, who was a bandmate of his in uh, the band that he was in at the time called Bluesology. But the story that he took his last name from John Lennon isn't isn't true, didn't happen. Uh, in reality, it's a little bit weirder, actually, because he took his new last name from yet another Bluesology bandmate, vocalist Long John Baldry. Mm. Yes, yeah, side note, so wouldn't that be weird? Like, 
if yeah. you were those guys, those guys, and the guy in your band was like, I'm going to take your name and your name and make my name and be super famous. Yeah, especially when, I mean, not even the John part, because that's a common name, but also, but the Elton part, that's pretty obvious, you know, and I think in Rocket Man, you know, the bandmate's like, that's my name. And uh, Elton John's like, yeah, I know. And of course, you know, whatever, he seems to not care. But yeah, I would be like, especially seeing how famous Elton John got, I would definitely be like, hey, I need some royalties from my name or something. I'm kidding. Maybe I'll change my name to Allison. What do you think? Um, I have a copyright on this. All Allison's pay me a royalty um, Whoa, nice. to use my name. Nice. Yeah, it's it's my secret fortune that You're I never told you about. Woman, wow. I am. Yeah, I plotted that out when I was two and a half. So it's been you know it's been a nice little nest egg my whole life. So that's you why I'm have... Kylie Jenner. Jesus. Exactly. That's why I'm doing a Beatles podcast because I have so much vast wealth to sit on. So. <laughs> So one more side note about the movie, which was another round the circle Beatles connection that I love. Elton John's legal middle name really is Hercules, um, but he didn't take it from Greek mythology. He actually took it from the horse from the British sitcom Steptoe and Son. Um, <laughs> okay, great. But the Beatles connection here is that Steptoe and Son was headed up by Wilfred Bramwell, who played Steptoe. And he was actually really famous for that role in England. And that role brought him to the attention of the Beatles producers, who ended up casting him as Paul's very clean old grandfather in A Hard Day's Night. So it all comes oh. full circle. Yeah, and I always thought it was funny. It was like, oh, Hercules, like that's that's funny because you're naming yourself after like a you know Greek god. But no, it's actually after yeah. a horse in what was wow. a really popular television show in Britain. Actually, the American show Sanford and Son was based on it. So we got a version of it here, too. Oh, right, 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 right. That's a great show. Yeah. Um, so Elton John's real name is Reginald Hercules Dwight. No, his real name. Well, I don't know what his middle name originally was. His original name was Reginald Dwight. I don't know if he had a middle name. But oh, then he, wait. So he... Oh, he gave himself Hercules. He gave himself the name Hercules. Yeah, that was oh, his. Oh, I thought his parents did. Oh. Okay, never mind. That would be also very funny. That, I know. That was why I was, was like, oh, honey, we're going to name our baby, give the, our baby the middle name Hercules after this horse. Like that, that was the thing that was cracking me up. <laughs> That's um, funny too. However, yeah, however I, yeah. You, you look at it, it's ridiculous to name yourself Hercules as your middle name. Wherever that's true that's and whoever that's very to. funny <laughs> so that is what i can't let it go what about you i love it um so i have to just talk about something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago maybe a month ago now but my dear friend andrew gave me what i think is probably the greatest gift i'll ever get which is brian epstein's autograph oh and God. yeah i mean i've never owned anything that brian touched or you know was even remotely close to um but he, Andrew, went to the WFME Record Fair in New York the past spring and found it and brought it back to its you know, rightful home. Um, I will treasure it and take care of it the rest of my life, but it is just beautiful. And, you know, it's it's very inspiring and, you know, just so grateful to him. So shout out to Andrew. He will be on the podcast at some point. Yay. Um, and then, <laughs> so that was going to be my only Beatles obsession, because like, what else do I need, really? But literally, literally, this afternoon, I was driving through Burbank, and <laughs> something caught my eye, this turquoise car caught my eye, and it had a sign on the side. And as I drove past, it looked like a guy in a Beetle wig on the side of this car. And I looked, and it said, Mr. Beetle, <laughs> beside this 
photo of a guy in a beetle wig. <laughs> and it's apparently um, this guy who lives in L.A. And he goes under the stage name Mr. Beetle. Um, and his the sign says, the full sign says, Mr. Beetle, singer slash entertainer, available for events here, there, and everywhere. Oh, my God. Um, has the phone number. And then www www.mrbeetle.com so you can go and check him out for yourself but i just i'm dying because i mean first of all it's ridiculous second of all like his whole thing on his website is you know if you can't afford a full beatles tribute band you know why not just hire one guy and he's not like he's not any specific beetle he's a generic beetle what like which makes me laugh so hard He's a generic beetle. <laughs> that's that's He's a generic beetle. That's I mean, beyond. I, yeah. Yeah. Like I want him to come and be like one of the Bo Brummels or one of the Robs. Like anybody who could have passed as a beetle. Like I just want that. Like I I mean, I'm just so so obsessed with him now. And oh I don't God. I haven't gotten a chance to read the full website. I sort of skimmed the front page. Um, <laughs> I just went but, there. <laughs> oh yeah. Are you dying? <laughs> His whole pitch is about money. Yeah, it's <laughs> so crazy. You'll spend less than 25% of what a full band would cost. Oh. oh my God. Yes, that makes mathematical sense, Mr. Beetle. And you know just, that can't be bad. Oh God. I, you know, I, I'm going to feel bad. I hope he's not a listener. But we're doing this with love, Mr. Beetle. Like yeah. I, my birthday's coming up. If you want to come to my party, I, that would be great. Um, but yeah, I uh, I just I like died. Had to make that part of my Beatles obsession because I'm gonna be obsessed with Mr. Beatles, especially since he apparently lives in my hood. <laughs> he has a lot of samples on his SoundCloud, so we're oh, gonna share shit. this with everybody, and hopefully somebody will hire him for something. Oh my god, we have to! Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I have to go listen to his samples. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, on that note, uh, on that Mr. Beetle note, <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast called Because the Beatles. As always, subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now, and give us a rating slash review so other Beetle maniacs can find us. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. Look out for Mr. Beetle because he's coming to you. <laughs> Hell yeah. And remember, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com too. See you next time. Bye. Bye.